Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I've heard that there's a house that has some bodies in the basement. Somebody told you that Shakaya was a victim of human trafficking? And come to find out, this is like, it exploded into this huge thing. I knew. I just knew something was wrong. Police say 33-year-old Jared Bridegan was shot dead. I kept calling his phone during the drive. Gunned down in front of his two-year-old daughter. It's a murder that stunned Jack's Beach neighbors. His murder has attracted national attention, with investigators saying he was targeted. Eventually, a police officer answered and told me to come to the police station. Justice is something that takes different shapes or forms. If you know something, heard something, please, it's never too late to do the right thing. So I'm Deanna Thompson, AKA Body Movin'. And I'm John Green. For about a decade, Deanna and I spent a lot of time on the internet, especially in the underbelly of the internet, trying to identify and get animal abusers arrested. We spent countless hours scouring the dark web, helping catch predators. We spent over a year and a half trying to get law enforcement to take us seriously about a man that was killing cats online, and he was threatening to move on to kill humans, and that was Luca Magnata. Yeah, you might've heard about the Netflix special called Don't Fuck With Cats. That's us. Well, now we're turning our online investigative skills to some of the most unexplained, unsolved, and just ignored cases. This is True Crimes. A production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. Tamara? Yeah. It's Deanna. How are you, darling? I'm, I'm doing good. So good to hear from you. I really don't talk to too many people about Shakai because I get scared. You know, I, I don't, I, yeah. I get worried because when I found, when they told me she was a victim of human trafficking, they gave me a list of names and I was shocked because these people like watched me cry, you know, so I really didn't know who I could trust. So somebody told you that Shakai was a victim of human trafficking? Yep. Back in January of 2020, the, the detective called me in and asked me if I would tell Shakai's thing all over again. So I did. 
And he said, I have somebody that wants to talk to you. Do you want to talk to him? And I said, yeah, I'll talk to anybody. And so this guy, Manuel, I cannot even remember his name because I was like, my mind went blank when they told me that he came in there and he told me, he said, um, you were talking about a couple people of interest. He said, and that was J.J. Johnson and Tommy Medicine Elk. And so he told me, he said, um, Shikai is a victim of human trafficking. This was somebody in law enforcement, a detective or an FBI agent? Uh, he was a human trafficking investigator for the Yellowstone County. My mind went blank because when he gave me the list of names, I was like, I was shocked. I felt so betrayed. What was the list of names like in like in reference to? Like what they say the list of names was? Like people that they who were, were part of the. Yeah. Yeah. What? I, I can send you that list of names they gave me. Yeah. It was crazy. I was shocked. Like, why would they even give me this list of names? Why you know, like, would they give that to you? Uh, yeah, because on my first time, so I called my friend in, in Charlotte. I said, because I would lay here and plot how I was going to get to these guys and make oh, them yeah. talk, you know? And so finally I said, you know what? I need to get out of here before I start acting on some of these, uh, some of these thoughts. Later, we spoke with our producer, Jeff Shane, about this new information. And he had some news, too. So I have a bit of, yeah, a bit of an update. So I was messaging with Tamara, Shakai's mom, last night on Facebook and was asking if she could send us those list of names that she said she had and right away sent them over. Really? So I'm going to send them to you guys. I'm going to text you them now if that's okay. Yeah. All right, I got a pic. Oh, okay. It's a picture. Oh, oh, she, oh, it's a picture of the list. So this was something she said that the the law enforcement gave her she did this is not her handwriting this is law enforcement's handwriting really oh there's a lot of females on this list interesting oh oh my god the second picture romello big day mm-hmm. oh wow i'm surprised to see his name on there that's <sighs> so we're looking at a piece of paper with i don't know 15 to 20 different names written on here. And obviously, Deanna and I are looking for people that we thought were somehow associated with or had something to do with Shakai's disappearance. And one of those names is on here. The name that I thought would be on here isn't. That's the one that gets, that's, you know. Well, are you talking about Rico? Yeah. I, too, noticed that Rico's name wasn't on this list. So I asked Tamara about Rico, and she said that the investigator who wrote this list told her that these were people who were recruiting girls for Rico. This is Rico's list. Are you kidding me? This is like, these are Rico's people. Yeah. So Rico's like the head honcho and these are his henchmen. Wow. He's got a lot of uh, people out in the streets doing his work for him. Okay. That's surprising. I mean, I knew Romello was like a subservient to Rico in some fashion, but I wasn't sure what exactly the connection was. So again, this is the list that somebody in law enforcement provided Shakaya's family saying that these people were out recruiting girls on the streets and doing it for Rico. Wow. This is a long list. Okay. Well, this is great. When you say this was written by law enforcement and provided, you know, like to Tamara, it's like literally in black and white now, right? It's you. It's totally tangible, and seeing Romello's name on this list gives me chills uh, because I looked at him so hard. You know what I mean? I looked at him so hard. 
and I'm sure, and I'm sure a lot of these are probably social media names that if you were to go to Romello Big Days, you would find that person as a friend. That's what I want to do. Phone. I want to get these in a in a matrix of, of of what of something, a matrix of sorts, and go through social media, see if I can tie any of them together. Right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Unfortunately, Romello has like 36 Facebook pages, so you know, that's going to take some time. Is he still in custody? He was released. Okay. Um, but he had another. He had another assault. I know exactly what it feels like to have somebody missing from the family, and having the birthday cakes with them not there, and the tears and the heartache and just like the hole. Before I was born, my cousin was abducted from my aunt's front yard, and you know after I was born. Um, and growing up, we would always talk about him. And I never, excuse me, it, it was a constant theme growing up. Like, we would have, like, birthday cakes with his name on it. You know, it was, like, where is he? And my family, dude, my family in Michigan were super close. Like, we did everything together. My mom had five sisters, and they all had, like, a lot of kids. And we would all get together birthdays, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving. I mean, it was huge. And there was always that one person missing so it was a constant reminder that he's not there I never really understood when I got older enough to understand I learned <clears throat> that he was abducted when he was one years old my aunt called the police and my my aunt explained to the police you know my my son's missing he's only a, a baby and this is like the 60s all right kids at one years old were sitting in the front yard by themselves it's just the way it was right they were like well where's your where's the dad and she was like, we're, we've been divorced, you know, for six months, eight months, whatever it was. And the cops at the time were like, he probably has them. Don't worry about it. And that's how things were back then. And like there was no FBI task force for missing children to go to other states, you know, things like that. The cops were just like, yeah, whatever. I remember being such a young, such a young kid going, what? Probably like eight. And my mom was explaining it to me. And I, even back then, I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? They said, don't worry about it. What do you mean? Where is he? And when when I was, I want to say 20, he reached out to her. Oh, my gosh. My, my cousin called my aunt. He, the ex took him to California. And when he died, my cousin finally got information about his mom and reunited. But yeah, the, the ex, but we didn't know for sure. My whole life, we didn't know where he was. It was always a thought that, yeah, maybe maybe he's with his dad, but we never knew for sure. So from like a really early age, I had like this problem with systematic injustice, that let's say. I don't know how else to say it. I didn't get it. And I still don't to this day. I, I really don't get it. Because of my own personal background and because I've been growing as a person, one of my biggest things is crimes against marginalized communities. And Shakaya's case really pains me. As we wait for the DNA paperwork to come back from Shakaya's parents, we wanted to jump into more about the horrific legal hurdles Native Americans, especially Native American women, face. Shakaya was a member of the Cheyenne Reservation, which is located just outside of Billings, Montana, which was where she was living when she disappeared. This is significant because Native American reservations are sovereign territories. They are not governed by state laws or policed by local state police. This means they have their own tribal police who handle reservation matters. 
but often those departments have limited budgets and are understaffed. And when a major crime is committed, like a murder or a rape, the FBI is supposed to assist. In Shakaya's case, even though she's a reservation member, she went missing from the city of Billings, which means the local police are tasked to handle her case and try and find this missing person. However, it becomes complicated because families often report their loved ones or missing persons to multiple departments and cases get handed around from one department to another. Who investigates what and who can arrest who is a jurisdictional nightmare we found out. And from what we hear, the system is very broken. Native American and indigenous families don't trust law enforcement, and law enforcement doesn't feel like they are even being given enough information. To understand all the complexities of this problem, our producer, Jeff Shane, spoke to FBI analyst Don Metzmeyer. He is one of the only law enforcement officers who would talk to us on or off the record. Don works as an intelligence analyst out of New Mexico. He's tasked with working on missing and murdered indigenous women cases, or MMIW, in his state, in an effort to help find answers to family members. While he hasn't worked directly on Shakaya's case, he's familiar with her story and provided us with the context of this whole jurisdictional issue nightmare. Hey Don, thank you so much for taking the time. We're trying to get in communication with Yellowstone County, for example, which is the the department who's handling Shakaya's case. And it's been very challenging to get them to give any sort of even just a we're working on this case statement. Um, So explain to me that why you are kind of bucking that trend and being more transparent with things like the media, podcasts, TV, et cetera. Great questions. I would argue from what the work that we do here, it's not really a trend that we need to that we're bucking like what we're doing here in New Mexico because we've always worked very closely with the media. One of the things that I see here on this topic compared to say the previous work I've done with other areas of focus for the FBI is this topic, we are very reliant on the public's help. And what I mean by that is, let's say it's a national security matter or a cyber matter or something like that. We've got a lot of great databases that we can use to to do that research. On something like a missing persons case, which for the most part, the FBI doesn't investigate missing person cases, except for in rare circumstances where we believe foul play is involved and we've got overwhelming evidence. So that's usually the local law enforcement. And you mentioned like the, the departments in Yellowstone. So historically, we haven't done, we don't do those sorts of investigations and we don't in New Mexico either. However, we do provide assistance to local law enforcement. So still breaking down that, the beginning part of that is we are reliant on the public when someone goes missing. And on this issue for missing persons, we're back to the public and the best way that we can use that that database, which in this case, I'm considering the public to be a database, is to put that information out to the public. Something I often say is there's a reason that the FBI still has a 10 most wanted list, even with all the databases we have, is we're reliant on that public to see those tips, to know that we care about a topic, and then then to give them a path forward of how to report that information to the public. I don't know specifically about Yellowstone, but I do know from our close work on this issue with our local law enforcement, there's an epidemic of missing persons across all races and genders in the U.S., and so one of our closest partners, the Albuquerque Police Department, they have, those detectives have a, are saddled with a huge caseload. I feel sympathetic from their perspective of how much work they have. And that's why we've gone out of our way here to provide them additional tools and support in those cases. And if we have information within our own holdings, as we'd like to call it, our, our FBI information, we share that with them so that we're looking at the same thing to try to find a resolution to a case. 
does I know it's I'm trying not to give you a non-answer to that, but does that help kind of clarify? It does. Yeah. You said, I, it does. I, I mean, don't want to use the word bucking the trend because I don't want to sound like we 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 decided here that we're going to stop hiding from the public. It's just we're trying to provide a path forward for us to work with the public a little easier. And that's we often refer to it as radical transparency or just we just put all the information out there so that there sometimes seems to be like you mentioned, like maybe the frustrations of the family with local law enforcement to just share what we have. Do you find that there is a frustration or a mistrust from, you know, these victims' families, specifically in the indigenous communities with law enforcement or with, you know, some, you know, with officials? Short answer is yes. And now it's hard to sometimes understand that frustration because is that the frustration of a missing a family member who has lost someone? I've got a child. And if my child went missing, my first probably primal reaction would be frustration. I want to know everything that's going on with that case. And sometimes from a law enforcement perspective, and I've spoke to some of my tribal colleagues on this, they're caught in a really bad position because they are one, members of the tribe that are doing the investigation, but they still are law enforcement members and they have to do preservation of evidence, protecting their sources sometimes of information. So I have, I am, we're very sympathetic with the families that are frustrated. That frustration is their motivation to try to find answers to what happened to their loved one. And we want them to hold us, and they should also have a right to hold law enforcement accountable to find out what's going on with their case. Okay, so that brings me to to my next point, which is like the jurisdictional issues of it all. Mm -hmm. Are you able to just, I mean, we've heard it from so many different people, but I feel like you're gonna give me a good answer. Um, Explain the jurisdictional issues as it stands sure. with, with where you fit into, you know, like as you were saying, tribal police, local police, all that. It wouldn't surprise me if you've heard from victims' families and even from some maybe tribal law enforcement, there are there there does have the appearance of jurisdictional issues. If you look at a map of Native American lands, it's honestly called a checkerboard. And because it depends on where you are with a you'd have to have a GPS to know whether you're standing on tribal land or whether you're not standing on tribal land and who has that authority when you're on it, whether it's the U.S. Attorney's Office or whether it's the State Attorney General's Office. So, yeah, that jurisdictional issue will always occur. But we have to, in law enforcement, have to try to come up with solutions to try to get over maybe a map that was made 130, 170 years ago. Sometimes it's it's hard. It's hard to work because it's more work on an overburdened office or overburdened agency. But if you're the family member, you often want one single point of contact that you can talk to. So can I just ask, like, let's put it into, you know, because we talk a lot about Shakaya on this podcast. Um, sure. So for her, she's a woman from a reservation. She's from the Northern Cheyenne Reservation in Montana, but she is living in the, the city of Billings and goes missing from the city of Billings. Correct. And so they, you know, it gets reported to the Billings PD. It gets passed off to Yellowstone County. The family claims that the FBI was supposed to step in and offer assistance, but that might have happened. It might not have happened. They're not sure. What is your take on the proper protocol for for who should be handling this investigation? So I can't speak to Shakaya's case specifically because that happened outside of our jurisdiction, but I would like to discuss how that would be handled if it happened within the state of New Mexico. Great. So if an individual went missing here, a Native American within the city of Albuquerque, there are multiple entities that could have lead on that missing person's case. That could be the city of Albuquerque Police Department. That could be the Bernalillo County Sheriff's Department or even the state police. And in all of those instances, they would have the lead. And we have the right, if they came to us, to offer assistance. 
So from our internal side, we would open up a parallel police assistance investigation. Again, we don't have the lead on it. We are just using some of the resources, whether it's our evidence response team, whether it's our polygraphers, whether it's our behavioral analysis unit, what they need to help come to resolution on that case. Why do you think the numbers are so high for the indigenous community in terms of homicide and missing people? What I will say is sometimes in Native American communities across the country, high rates of violence that occur. Often these departments, to give them some defense, they're often underfunded, underserved, and they don't have the technology. So they don't have intelligence analysts. And sometimes it might be a two, a four, or a six-person department responsible for covering hundreds, if not thousands of square miles. Each of the names on these lists represent a point of pain. I, I will say for New Mexico, because that's what I can speak to, I like the way we're handling this. I am supported. It is an intelligence-based supporting the operations, which we would call operations, the investigators, whether it's local law enforcement or that, but we're giving them the tools. Other states are are not there. So I think each state on this very complex issue nationally has different things that they can offer. I think New Mexico was kind of the right environment at the right time between all those things I mentioned earlier, where you had an office that was willing to put a lot of analysts and take them off their day work um, with the other stuff I was doing to try to to tackle a very difficult crisis with big data. And other states have different populations and different issues. And that's where it is a responsibility for each office to take a look and each state to take a look at it to see what they can bring to this. And I as I said it earlier, I'll say it again, we're going to make mistakes. And I mentioned that over and over, but it's not going to be mistakes for lack of trying to do the right thing to help support the families at the end of the day that are missing individuals. Let's stop here for a break. We'll be back in a moment. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on 
you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. So today I'm going to go through the list of names that Tamara Bear comes out was given from the FBI of possible um, accomplices to uh, Rico Wallace's like human trafficking ring. So I'm going to go through their social media and see if there's any overlap between that. All right. The first name is Kristen. And that's it. Abby Best. O-N-G-B-A-R-E-T-R-I-K-I. Trixie. T-R-I-X-I-A-Z-I-A-W-O. Tina Peru. Brooke. M-O-I-N. Brooke. Bell Odessa. Ray. Catty. Alicia Sutton. Okay. M-O-K-A-Y-L-A-F-E-S-T-U-S-B-R-E. Stacy Gibbons. Tommy. Medicine. Elton Mello. Big day. That's my guy that I looked at. Demon. D. Sean. Kane Wall. I don't know what the last name is. C-H-O. You know, it takes a long time to put together these documents. Like I'm making a spreadsheet of all the profiles and their links and any identifiable information. And it takes a while to do that, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And I'm taking screenshots and I'm linking the screenshots to the spreadsheet. And yeah, it takes a while to do all this stuff, but I I generally think, you know, it does pay off to do that. So that's why I'm doing it. Oh, I think that's John Green. Hello? Hold on, Kay. Another big day. He hasn't posted in a while. So I'm wondering if he's incarcerated for the robbery slash assault in Great Falls. So that's what I wanted to see if we could look up. Okay. To see if he's incarcerated. It was in a a news article in September that police responded to a robbery in Great Falls on the 1600 block of 3rd Avenue. Romello Big Day was eventually arrested for accosting a female in a parking lot and attempting to steal her phone. Approximately one hour prior to the robbery, Big Day was also involved in a disturbance at the Zip Trip 
Big Day was charged with misdemeanor assault in the zip trip disturbance. So I don't know if he is incarcerated for that right now or not. But when I was looking at incarcerated people a couple of months ago or maybe a month ago, I looked for Big Day like how it is on the ID and I didn't find anybody. But I did a big day with no space and I found a bunch, but he wasn't one of them. But this is his Montana Department of Corrections photo identification. So I would imagine, you know, and it's got his ID number on there and everything. So I'm looking at a jail roster. Okay. For Shasta County, which Great Falls is in. Okay. And based on this document, he's still in custody. On the charges, it has theft and then assault, right? Yeah. And I think it's worth noting, too, that just because somebody's on this list, like Tam Rivera comes out, said the FBI said this was Rico's circle, right? Like the people that worked for him. I think it's worth noting, too, that just because somebody's on this list doesn't mean they were knowingly doing anything wrong. You know, they could have just thought like these were his girls, even though. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't I just I want to make it clear that just because we're looking at Tazia's profile doesn't mean she's done anything wrong. Right. So this Tazia lady lives in San Jose now. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah, that's all I was saying. She's in Cali now. I know, but didn't we talk about San Jose specifically as like a, a place? One of the spots that the girls spots. get traffic. Yeah, on the circuit. I'm still blocked. God damn it. Are you getting some kind of vibe from her or something? No, I mean, she looks... I'm not getting a vibe from her. It's just that she's on the list. She's friends with two of the people on the list. Like, she's the the bridge between the two right now. You want to reach out to her? No, absolutely not. It's more of I'd rather learn a little bit more information before reaching out to her. I don't want to play her hand. I, I mean, I'm willing to hear your side. I just don't think it's a good idea. I think it's too soon. We don't have time. That's true. That's my story. That, that's where I'm going. We don't have time. And we know this girl somehow is the connection between these two guys. We don't even have to tell her, hey, your name's on the list. We just say, hey, you know, we were looking into things. What do you, how do you say you got to her? You don't. You just say, hey, did you know a guy named Romello Big Day from Montana? And see what she says. I don't know. I think this this girl might be key, Tazia. And then, then again, maybe not, you know? I mean, but why is she on this list? It's on the list. We found a profile. We found her connected to somebody that knew. No, Romello. she knows Romello. She's on his friends list. Yes. But then if you go to her profile, she's friends with Tommy. She's friends with Tommy, which is also on the list. As we continue to dig further, all the names on the list seem to keep coming back to Romello Big Day. But while we are digging and combing through the social media, we continue to communicate with Shakaya's mom, Tamara. And Tamara told us something that she just learned, purely by chance. If you remember, we had heard that Shakaya was last seen getting into a red truck near Tumbleweed Wanneray Center the day she disappeared. The story was never collaborated by Yellowstone County PD, but if it's true, then it could be a very important lead. And Tamara just heard something that could help us clarify Shakaya's last few hours before she disappeared. Are you there? Yeah, I'm going to run and grab All my right. notes real quick, Deanna. So good to hear from you. Uh, it's good to hear from you. How you been? Uh, I've been hanging in there. I ended up running into this girl. Oh, yeah? Yeah, her name was Letitia. And then so we started talking. And then um, I was crying. And she goes, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I said, well, on that thing, it says um, blue. Oh. And I said, it's almost my baby. It's almost Shakaya Blue's birthday. And she's like, 
I know Chicago Blue. I said, you do? And she said, yeah. She said, I remember riding bikes with her. She said, so we used to go to Tumbleweed, she said. Okay, so I'm going to back up a little bit. Major Longknife was one of Shakaya's childhood friends. It's crazy because, um, because so, okay, so get this. She said that um, Major introduced her to this guy. They came up here to Fort Belknap. And so she said Major introduced her to this guy. His name was Nick. She said, find out Nick's last name. Okay, so get this, Deanna. He drives a red truck with a camper no. on it. No. I'm not even lying, Deanna. It's red crazy. truck with a camper? And, and that's, that's, that's yep, Nick? Yep. Yep, yep. Oh, wow. So I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't even know what to do with all this information because I might as you know what, little girl, I don't even know if you know me, but you gave me my most solid lead I've had since she's Shakaya disappeared. Yeah. With this new information, we contacted our Montana private investigator, Mike Toth. If we know his full name, I can look him up and see if he comes up on my database. It's a very common name. It's Aaron Peterson, and he lives in California. But he lived in Montana. He did. He lived in Montana yeah. at one point. Aaron Peterson, yeah. I will I will look up on Aaron Peterson in Billings. All right. And see what pops up. I do Billings, Montana. It'll pop up a lot of them. But then I'll look for one now that says a California address also. And I would, I would think he's in his 20s, right? Yeah. Right. Let me, 20s, let... 30s. I'll give it a shot. There'll probably be a million of them, but you never know. Yeah. Yeah, it would be good to hear from him and get the story straight from him what happened. So... Do we know what the tumbleweed address is? Uh, we can get it. 505 North 24th. 505 North 24th. Holy yeah. cow. You got an address? I got a guy. So, so he was, he would have Aaron, he has his mailing address. So Aaron James Peterson. He's, guess where he's at? He's in Missoula, which is where I am. I'm going to flag this and send this to both of you right now. That's great, Mike. In talking with Shakaya's family, we found out about a person by the name of Aaron, who, based on what we've heard, sounds like he may have been the last person to see Shakaya before she disappeared back in July of 2018. So it would be kind of important to talk to him. We've seen some text messages between Aaron and Shakaya's sister, uh, him talking about knowing the one person that she was hanging around who may have been grooming her. So when Mike originally ran a report on Aaron Peterson, there were a bunch, but he was able to identify the specific one based on using the tumbleweed address. When Mike ran a report on him, he came up with a current address for a person, same person, Aaron, same last name, living in the Missoula era, Missoula, Montana, which is not far from Billings. I am actually looking up that address just to verify. So it's always good when you run these reports, sometimes it gives you good information, sometimes it doesn't. So I'm taking the address and I'm going to whitepages.com and I'm just doing a reverse address lookup. So I put in that address, the city, the state, and absolutely nothing. So it shows nothing there. It doesn't show anybody who lives there or anything like that, which is not good. When I go on Google Maps, it looks like it's a large multi-unit property. There's like four buildings on there, but each unit has its own address. It's not like one, two, three, four Main Street, unit A, one, two, three, four Main So each one has an address. So maybe if he's still living in there 
and we can't get a hold of him, maybe we can have Mike the PI go to Missoula, go to the address we have and see if Aaron's still there and see if he's still willing to talk to us, if he's willing to talk to us and share information on Shakaya. Hey, it's Mike. Well, I'm driving, so hopefully I won't lose you. No problem. How are you? Cold, good, but glad to be moving. So today you were traveling from what would be considered West Montana over to Billings, and on your way you were going to pass through a city called Missoula. And in our research on Shakaya, we had found out about a person by the name of Aaron, who supposedly is one of the last people who saw Shakaya before she went missing. So today, you were going to stop by there on your way to Billings to see if maybe Aaron was there to see if we could introduce ourselves and get him to come on the podcast and talk with us. So how'd it go today? Well, uh, well, I guess not good. I went there and uh, no one answered. There wasn't any vehicles in the driveway. Let's stop here for another quick break. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us, so we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. 
Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. While we searched for Aaron in Montana, we recently got some news about Jared's case. We thought that Jared's ex-wife, Shanna, moved out of Florida, and that seemed odd. So we asked our Florida-based PI, Chris Salgado, to try and find out where she moved to. Now that we know, we need to tell Kirsten. So we, we have an update for you. Okay. Some good news. I mean, it's, an, it's, you know, so much not good news. Yeah. But we found her current location. Okay. And verified that it's correct and all that. And we found his current location, too. So the, ex, the ex-wife and him, and they are not in the same state. Yeah, so I actually located her myself. Oh, okay. Too. Yeah. I wonder if our, you know what, I wonder if our information matches. Let's find out. Let's find out. Let me get it. Let me pull it up here. Let me. Sorry, I don't mean to joke. I don't mean to joke about this, but this makes me happy that you were able to locate it too, and now we can see if we have the. If it's the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a million dollar house paid in cash, bought by White Sand LLC. Yep. In Richland, Washington. Correct. Yep. In September. Yep. And uh, it was transferred. It the deed was transferred like September. September. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you have it too. So how did you find it, Jared? I I I know for a fact Jared was helping me with this Aww. one because you know I had reached out to you guys. I had actually hired another PI. I know a news station had hired a PI, and nothing was coming back. But months and months and months ago, when I had heard a rumor that she was moving to Washington. I racked my brain. I'm like, why would she move to Washington? Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't have family there. And then I remembered that she had a baker friend, like a fellow baker mm-hmm. who she had met at a cookie conference that lived in Washington. And so I said, you know, I want to find this lady's page and just track her to see if anything comes up. Well, she and his baking page had already gone private. So I couldn't see who she was following or who was following her. But a friend of mine, I had asked to follow Shanna. So she could see all of her followers. So she sent me the name of each and every baking account. And then I went through all of them until I found the one I was looking for. I looked up this lady's baking business, like her business license, Mm -hmm. and it's her home address. So then I looked up local sales and Mm -hmm. the house exactly next door to hers is the one that Shannon owns. And White, White Sands LLC is owned by the parents. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we, one thing that we don't know is what the hell is White Sands? They've had it for many years, decades. They let it lapse for a couple of years, renew the license on it. Um, we were really trying to dig into that to White Sands because I don't know. It's just okay. It's a strange purchase, right? Yeah, that would be interesting. And yeah. it's also interesting because like they they buy all of their houses in LLCs. So the one that they purchased here at Jack's Beach mm-hmm. was like Arabian Nights LLC. So it's a whole other yeah. Like they just—they have a lot right. of LLCs. Right. That's how rich people protect their. I, and I have no knowledge yeah. of that. <laughs> I don't know how that yeah. works. You know. I had to explain that to Deanna. He did. Say like, if like there was ever a lawsuit and they were you know held and had to pay, they couldn't have their house taken away because the house sits in the corporation. 
mm-hmm. not under their name. And it's also a way to, you know, kind of hide out. And if you didn't want people to find you, it helps out a lot too. But yeah. And, you know, the thing Deanna and I was, well, her parents have her under their thumb, right? They own mm-hmm. the LLC and she's living there. They got to, she has to do what they want, right? Mm-hmm. It's just another sign that they will protect her no matter what. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I and Mario is in Orlando. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Mario, I'll send you his information that I found. We don't have to, yeah, you know, because I don't want to dox so, them on the air and stuff. But yeah, he's in Orlando. Why do? You, why would he be still in Florida and she on the other side of the U.S.? Do you have any idea why, Kirsten? So they're separated. Um, and she, Shanna had told her little group of baking friends. It was either the day of or the morning after, I think it was the morning after Jared's murder. She randomly put it in their baking chat that, oh, you know, my husband or my ex-husband passed away. And it's just super hard because me and Mario decided we're better off as friends and we're going to get divorced. But now we have to like wait till the summer so there's not too much going on for the kids. Hmm. So it was just weird timing that she randomly decided to tell her friends that she and Mario were breaking mm-hmm. up, but they're still legally married. So oh, why yeah. are they still legally married? I looked in all the counties, you know, affiliated with them, mm-hmm. like the three counties that are affiliated with them, and they haven't filed anything yet. Or if they have, yeah. it hasn't made it public yet. But I am constantly looking. Um, I appreciate that because yeah. I look from time to time too, and it's just, yeah, yeah, there's nothing. Nothing's hit yet, and I've got mm-hmm. so RPI is looking too. Okay. He he's the one who found the, the Washington and the White Sands and all that. That's awesome. No, he's he's phenomenal. He is how truly did, how phenomenal. How did he find it? Cuz I would not So have... the re, we, we met him. We actually we became friends with him, like personal friends. And we were very impressed with him and he was impressed with us and whatnot and so we just developed this friendship and he's just like probably one of the best PIs in the United States. Probably one of the best. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we wanted to give you that information for sure. And ask. we wanted to ask you, too. Um, and I'm sorry I'm coming at you. I've just been excited to talk to you for a while now. No, it's okay. Ever since you texted me, I've like wanting to respond. Does Jared's parents have contact with the twins? No. So there has been contact recently through Jared's sister. Okay. But to my knowledge, she's the only one that has been able to make contact. That, I can't remember exactly what date that was. I think it was before Christmas. She was able to FaceTime with them. I didn't oh. I didn't hear much about it. I just heard that she texted Shannon. Shannon responded, and then she was able to FaceTime with the twins. That's all I really know. Okay. So that is the only contact with our side of the family that I'm aware of. And I'm assuming Jared's parents would like to see their grandchildren too, right? Yeah. So they even emailed Shannon's attorney Back in the summer when mm-hmm. Gaylord, his dad, was here going through cancer treatments, asking, oh, can we please see the kids while we're here? Like, he was down at Mayo Clinic getting treated for cancer. And she, they just completely, they never responded, completely ignored them. Well, I saw, I follow the Justice for Jared's um, Instagram and TikTok and all that. And I saw the email from the lawyers. Mm-hmm. I think it was in response to you saying, leave me alone. or Yeah. Because yeah, you, please stop emailing me. Yeah. So, John, Kirsten, of course, wants her children to have a relationship with their siblings, you know, Yeah. and has been in her lawyer responded to Kirsten and was just like, leave me alone or leave me out of this or something. I can't remember the the verbiage, but it was very weird. So, okay. I was I was texting Shanna for months and she blocked my phone number. Mm. 
I was emailing her, have never gotten a response. I emailed her criminal defense attorney. He said, this is a family law matter. Reach out to her family law attorney. Then I switched to emailing him. Wasn't getting a response, so I started emailing him and Shanna on the same thread. Mm. His first response was meant for Shanna, and he said, this is like in the summer. Yeah, he's like, I don't see a need to respond to this. Your family's been through so much. I just want this to be over for you. And I responded, I was like, she's been through so much. Wow. Like, you've got to be kidding me. And all I want is for communication to be opened up between blood siblings. Mm -hmm. So anyways, then he like didn't respond to me again. And then it was just recently, you know, like the last, I think in October, November, whenever that one was, that he responded back to me and said, please stop emailing me. To which I responded and said, until you let me know you're Mm -hmm. no longer representing her, I will continue to email you. Good for you. (laughs) I have to tell you, that's, that's very good for you. They pissed me off. Oh, yeah. No, I don't blame you. Honey, I don't blame you. So that brings up the question is, how does how does Jared's parents get access to their grandkids? They, they there, don't. And so, like, just recently, this year, there was a law passed. The Markle? Um, be- yes, because of the Markle case. But from my understanding, mm-hmm. when I was reading it, there has to be a conviction mm-hmm. for that to be enacted. So they would have grandparent rights, and so would my parents, actually. It, it includes step-grandparents. So oh. my parents... And his parents would have rights to visitation with the kids if and when Shanna is convicted of a crime. Right. So you're you're aware of the Markle Act and what happened to Dan Markle? Yes. In fact, my brother-in-law and I talk about that case from time to time because we think it's pretty darn similar you to know, what ours is. You know, Kirsten, when I read the timeline for this, I mm-hmm. literally could not wait to talk to John. I was like, dude... And I read him yeah. the timeline of what, you know, the conversation at dinner that was recorded with the brother and the, and, and I mean, I had the chills. I'm like, you know, the keys mm-hmm. were in the ignition and how things trickled out very slowly there. Two days after the murder, the Prius was pictures were released. And I was like, that's our truck. That's our truck. You know, yeah. every, every step of the way, it was it's crazy, crazy similar. The contentious custody battle, the, mm-hmm. you know, the wealthy family, the wealthy family. Yeah. So the, you know, wanting to take your kids out of the jurisdiction, but she has, she, the, the wife, Wendy, or the ex-wife, I should say, has never been convicted. Only the, yeah. only the brother and his ex-girlfriend or whatever. And the accomplices. And the, of course, the two hit yeah. right? But yeah. And, you know, even in investigating Jared's murder, I have such a hard time thinking that it's just one person, you know? So mm-hmm. even the fact that there were two hitmen, you know, like everything yeah. was just... And, you know, they did an ABC special, which I'm dying to watch. I need to watch it in September of 2016 on this. I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. it, but it was on 2020. I it was on 2020. But it just it just reminds me in so much of, of Jared's murder. Yeah. You know, one night, in fact, my brother texted me about the case. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know. And then it sent me down the rabbit hole again. And I was up till like 3 a.m. watching YouTube clips yeah. of... The trials, like everyone's testimonies and stuff and, and the ex-wife's testimony. I mean, she was pretty good. She was freaking annoying. Like, I'll, mm-hmm. <laughs> the way she, I mean, she's an attorney, so you mm-hmm. expect that. But yeah, I was up really late one night watching all of their <laughs> it took, testimony. It took eight years. Eight it's, years. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. It's like our, it's almost like the system is built to protect criminals. Oh, you know, for, like I, sure. I get that we want to make sure innocent people aren't aren't put behind bars or of course, you know, given the death sentence, but it's like you can get away with so much, mm-hmm. especially as I'm sure we all believe that ex-wife in the Markle case, she was behind it and she's still walking around free with her kids. Absolutely. Like, 
it's insane. Yeah. So I, yeah, we really wanted to ask you about Jared's parents because I mean, I've seen, of course, I've talked to his brother with you and and his sister. Mm -hmm. I've seen, but I haven't seen anything a lot about his parents and I'm sure that they want to see their grandchildren. That's like, you know, part of Jared. And what's sad is like, they, they really want to, but they're almost afraid to fight for it because they are afraid of the power of that family. Like they are Mm -hmm. genuinely afraid of it. Mm -hmm. And so if there's not a clear legal way to do it, like an easy hey, this law dictates that we get to see them. They're afraid to try anything else. Wow, that's scary. That, yeah, that's very scary. So yeah, I guess with that being said, mm-hmm. Deanna and I have been talking to people about this case, about Jared and the case, and we were luckily enough to talk to a forensic expert. He's actually a professor that teaches. It, and we were going over everything with him, like every little piece of thing. And... The thing, so in court, when you're convicting somebody, there's you know several different types of witnesses. There's an eyewitness, somebody that witnessed the crime that can say, I saw person A do this. Mm-hmm. Obviously, your two-year-old daughter's too young to go to court. And yeah. There's no other witness. So that just leaves the evidence at the scene. So then we went through all the evidence and different ways they could try to get information or stuff that may lead back. And it just seems odd that you know the tire the, the tire is a big thing Deanna and I looked into like can they there's a uh, like a serial number on the tire that'll tell you where that plant was ma- uh, the tire was manufactured and the date and where it was and can they track it back to like a store that it was bought at and looking mm-hmm. at things like that and so we kind of ran every single scenario through we talked about how they can pull DNA off shell casings and different things and it just kind of seemed like ah doesn't seem like this is going to go anywhere. And then afterwards, I was thinking like, you know, the only way we could probably get anything out of this or get some justice is through a confession. And mm-hmm. when we heard that the ex, ex-husband ex and her are no longer together, I said, that's interesting. Yeah. Part of me hopes that she screwed him over so bad. That's what Reddit thinks. That Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. What were you saying? You think that she screwed him over so bad that what? No, I'm hoping she did, that she screwed him over so bad in a separation because one of his (laughs) army buddies' wives, so his friend's wife, actually reached out to me on Instagram and said that, and I don't know if this is true or not, but last she heard Mario was living in a trailer and just doesn't have a lot going for him. Like, he did not have his own money. Like, he was claiming disability from Mm -hmm. the military, which she claims is fraud. And that he tried to get her husband to also commit that fraud. But aside from that, he doesn't really have much going for him. So I'm like, if he goes from living this extravagant lifestyle, brand new Tesla, brand new truck, brand new, you know, like, yeah, everything's paid for. Vacations are paid for. He could play video games all day long, which is what the kids said he did. And then he goes to living in a trailer. Mm -hmm. I would hope he's pretty pissed about it, especially if he did her bidding. And that's where it got him. Well. So I, I hope. So, yeah, well, Mario did spend quite a bit of time playing video games and he would stream and I have his game info. Oh, and, my gosh. Yeah, he spent, I mean, listen, if he was my husband, I would divorce him too. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The amount, no, the amount, deadbeat. yeah, the amount of time he spent on that game was like, like maybe a junior high boy might during summer break. Oh, my gosh. Do you know what I mean? It's bad. Yeah. yeah. So wait, wait. I want to go back. So a wife of one of his military friends reached out to you and kind of gave you some mm-hmm. update on him. So you have an in. So you know somebody knows where he's at and what he's up to. Um, I don't know. I don't know if they currently do, but she had said that her husband had gone to lunch with Mario shortly after this all went down, and 
this wife had been sharing what I had posted, like, Hey, we're looking for this truck. Hey, this is my husband. Like we need answers. She had been sharing that her own social media. And according to her at this lunch, Mario told him like, you need to get your wife to stop posting that. Why is she posting that? Like, we don't want to bring eyes to this. That's what she said. What? I'm like, that's a huge red flag. Hopefully to anybody. Did you tell the police that? Uh, I did, yes. Okay, good. So, I mean, there's kind of two scenarios where the ex-husband, either he was aware of it, part of it, or he has absolutely no idea what happened, right? Yeah, if he has no idea what happened, and now he's separated from her, and she sees what she did to her first husband, wouldn't he be scared? I'd be scared. Yeah. scared looking over my shoulder. Unless, you know, you know. But if he was part of it, right? And he knows something, and they're going through a divorce, he's going to use that as leverage against her. I did a street view of the, the new address in Orlando. It doesn't look like an, a, a trailer park. It looks like kind of nice condo. So I got the impression that, here's what I, listen, this is just me spitballing. Mm-hmm. What if he knows that something went down, whether he was involved or not, but he knows, right? And what if it's the family that's actually responsible, mm-hmm. and they are paying his way what if i mean i could see that too yeah my gut knowing who mario is Mm -hmm. and watching the way he reacted like i saw him the next day Mm. there's no way he was unaware of everything really absolutely no way no how was he acting so i had asked shanna the night of very late i texted her after i knew that the detectives had gone over to her house to inform her i asked said can i please be there when the kids are informed one they deserve to have someone who actually loves their dad present. And two, so does Jared. Jared deserves to have someone who loved him to be present when his kids are told that he was murdered. Oh, my gosh. Thankfully, she said yes. But I did not want to go by myself. Um, you know, I had some hunches that night. So I took my dad with me early the next morning. We went over to their house. Shanna and Mario met us in the driveway and basically said, um, we are not to say anything besides comforting the children. They will be the ones doing the talking. So like we were told basically like, don't say anything. So I was like, what? I agreed. I'm like, at least I'm here. I can see the kids. So we went in and Shanna told them. And so we we're at the table. So we're sitting down, Shanna, myself, the kids and my dad. Mario was off to the side with his arms folded, leaning against their couch, just watching. And when the kids started sobbing after being told about this, I held one of them and Shanna held one of them. I was crying. My dad was crying. The kids were crying. Mario was emotionless. Didn't even attempt to comfort anybody. Just stood there watching the entire time. And then they came actually to my house the day after, I believe. So Friday, the day after that, because they had said Abby wanted to bring some things for her sisters. They didn't tell me that it was going to be Mario and her parents also there. Mm -hmm. And the whole time he was like bragging about how good his dog is my dog was there he's like oh yeah well my dog it was like it was this weird hmm. he was trying to one-up every, like he his behavior was so cold and he hated jared like he legit hated jared so there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that he knew or more like really? he, he was not unaware no no chance did i ever tell you guys what he had posted on his instagram stories shortly yeah. after jared died no please tell us so I wasn't following him because it made my stomach turn. But I had a friend, like I said, I use friends to find things mm-hmm. for me. He went on a camping trip with some 
I believe, military buddies of his. And in one of these Instagram stories, he it's a video. He's taking a video of a lone tire on the ground, and they're all laughing. And then it changes to something else. Excuse me? I'm not kidding. Did you tell the cops and about I, that? And I sure did. <laughs> You're kidding me. I'm not. I think I can actually go find the screen recording that someone sent me. And I'm like, all right, could be a coincidence. I think they were going to a car show. But that, to me, is not a coincidence. It's tasteless. It's ta- Even if they yeah, were at a car show. very least, it's tasteless because he knows exactly what happened. Yeah. That tire is in every newspaper. So you, you mentioned just, it's, I found something like that was really weird. The night Jared mm-hmm. was murdered, Shelly posted pictures of their trip to Hawaii. All right. That's weird. Yeah. So that's really weird. Mm-hmm. On those pictures, you can run them through a, a piece of software to tell you the date and time they were posted because I want to know what time she posted these pictures. Yeah. And she posted them at 2200. All right. So when you said that you called Shanna or you found out mm-hmm. Shanna knew, do you know about what time that was? Eastern time? I think it was Eastern, close yeah. to. I know. I know that night was horrific. And I... it was it was late. So late, late. and okay. let me see if I can scroll. It was late, late, like after eleven p.m. Late. Okay. So twenty two hundred is ten p.m. when those pictures would have been posted. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I texted her at twelve fifty eight a.m. on Thursday the seventeenth. Okay. Thursday. So it was super early Thursday morning. I hadn't gone to bed yet. So ten p.m. here is one a.m. No. 1 a.m. there, right? Because I'm in the West Coast. So, cutting yeah, it close. So I, I mean, that's her. right around. Listen, if your ex-husband is murdered, the father of your children, me, I'd be like, oh, my God, I got to call my mom. You know, like, yeah, I need to talk to somebody who loves me, right? Yeah. Did Shelly know that Jared was murdered when she posted these pictures? Because the blog post is like, you know, the perfect family. You know, you know how her, her yeah. shit is, right? The yeah. perfect family. Look at my beautiful daughter and her husband, and the pictures of them two together are very much in love. You know. Yeah. So if they if she, they were planning on getting divorced, you certainly can't tell from these photos. Yeah. But yeah, no, she posted them the night he was murdered. The night, like. Oh my gosh, I didn't 10 know PM. that. Yeah, I'll send I'll send you the info if you want it. I mean, yeah, I don't know if it's I don't know if it. Listen. My 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 goal. I don't think I'm going to solve this murder. You know what I mean. But if mm-hmm. we can give anything, one little piece of evidence. You know what I mean. Like one little thing can break it wide yeah. open, right? So anything yeah, we no, find, anything we find. I mean, obviously, I'd love to solve this. Um, but mm-hmm. it's just it's just something that I don't. I just don't know. Speaking of that, have the has there been any, any updates with the police as far as you know or can share with us? Not that I can share, okay. but there has been progress. I think you'll be hearing something soon. More on that next time. True Crimes is executive produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Deanna Thompson, Courtney Armstrong, Jeff Shane, Andrew Arno, and me, John Green. Additional producing by Connor Powell and Gabe Castile. Editing by Jeff Twa. Music by Vanacore Music. True Crimes is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Bean Dad, The Dress. 
30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. He was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.